Fuck off, you cunt. Skulls and crossbones, bone heads and bare limbs, a spare grin. When I tear the air apparent, daring to be truthful. Red winners with no scruples, using the useful light skin with soupless pupils. Looping a suitable sample to chance be sold. I'm not ill and killing the children. Welcome, faithful listener, to Podtoy 41. Joining me today are Case Fulton, Hi. Daniel Hustog Lingen, hey. and everybody's favorite Brit, Jim Sterling. I'm not everybody's favorite Brit. That was David, but he's not here now, so I'm the oh. default Brit. Oh. Yeah, remove your internet hats in, in mourning. We miss yeah. David. He's dead. But <laughs> he's on to better, better things, as most people are. But. This week we're going to be talking about characters. Why do we love them? Why do we hate them? How do they influence the games we play? And do they matter as much as, say, gameplay or story? But before we get into all that shit, we're going to start with our Games of the Week segment. Has anybody been playing anything interesting? Jim? I played Undertow, so no. <laughs> Jesus Christ, though, for fuck's sake. Under, oh, more like Underblow, am I right? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, right. I'm so right. Um, yeah, I, I played it for five minutes, and um, I think the most fun I'm going to have is deleting it and never looking back. Undertow. I forgot. Jesus Christ. Why? It's bad and not very good either. It's, yeah, I think they need to apologize for making that their apology for the Xbox Live downtime. That's what yeah. I was saying earlier. Yeah. That was horrible. Just oh, you can't even see anything. It's just, it's just a game where a blue dot shoots orange dots in the water. Yeah, and they think calling them underwater pirates somehow makes it more cool. Yeah. The kids love pirates. Oh fucking hell! It's Captain Red. Oh bloody hell! How did you think I became an admiral? <laughs> oh pirates are wankers, aren't they? Yes, they are. Now let's go in the water and shoot some orange dots. I'm with you on that one. Let's. And then they had sandwiches. That was extreme. Holy shit! <laughs> but um, Case, have you been playing anything not Undertowish? Um. I actually started Undertow uh, and got about th- three minutes, three minutes into it before I, I just just turned it off and, and never looked back. I, I immediately deleted it. Actually, I have zero interest in, in playing it at all. Um, I've been playing Burnout uh, Three. Actually, I didn't. It wasn't able to get a hold of Burnout Paradise, so uh, just been trying to sate myself with Burnout Three for the time being. In um, spite of the fact that I don't actually really like racing games, uh, but Burnout is just amazing, and I absolutely love it. Um, and Psychonauts, again, still. Because I simply cannot get enough of it. I can dig it. Uh, Dan? Uh, pretty much just Burnout Paradise. Ever since I got the down, or the demo, I haven't gotten to play the full game yet, but I've been playing the demo a lot. Um, and it, I, I kind of like it a lot better than normal free-roaming, uh, or open-world racing games, just because I, I've hated open-world racing games in the past, but it has a lot more of a kind of actual racing feel to it, so I like it. It's good. What did you think about you? it? In, what, well, what did you think about it in, in, in terms of the older Burnout games, the more linear ones? Um, I've always been a fan of the more linear ones, just because like I don't want to. The more linear ones, you never had to focus on where you were going. All you had to focus was like on the other guy, 
like taking him down and I haven't got to play most of the the actual like takedown missions on the full game because I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet but like as far as open world goes I think I concentrate way more on where I'm going and what I'm gonna do next like oh am I gonna jump through you know this place or am I gonna smash through these garbage cans or disrupt these people's lunch or stuff like that <laughs> as opposed to just hunting down the next blue dot and then you know checking them into the side but we'll see once I get a chance to play the full game I can uh, elaborate yeah, well, I've I've got the full game, and a lot of it's. I mean, that that's that's a lot of the feeling I get when I'm playing it too. Is like I I, lo- I love everything about the the open world aspect. And I love the racing, but it's just so. I get I get I get confused by all the myriads of shortcuts and different paths, and I I spend so much time just crashing into things and cursing loudly because I've been focusing more on where I'm going than just owning the bitch in front of me, and it's it's fun as hell, but it's just it's much more difficult. In a way. Yeah, that's why I've never really been a fan of open world racing because you need to spend so much time memorizing the whole world and all of the shortcuts that it's just like, fuck, I just want to race. <laughs> well, the upside of Burnout is that when you fuck up and you crash, and it looks gorgeous anyway, so it's sort of... Yeah, you're just like, oh, slow motion crash. All right, I'll take it. Sorry, what were you saying, Jim? I was saying that was my problem. I, I tried the demo because I'm not a huge racing game fan, but I, I did like, um, I think it was Burnout 3 I played. I did like that one. Um, so I... I tried the demo for Paradise and I I didn't like it I just if I buy a racing game I want to fucking race I don't want to look look around the city and go isn't that house nice and <laughs> crash into stuff and lose a race and then have to go a million thousand billion miles back to where the race began yeah. which is the actual distance that it is <laughs> that's good just, that's very scientific but no, he's got. He does have. It's one of the more irritating aspects of it is that there's no just restart race. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you, with Burnout, you should. I don't know. I mean, Burnout is obviously one of the most arcadey racing games out there. You expect to drop in and fucking race, go in there, race, and then go do something else. That's that's what Burnout always was to me. And with that, it just, especially with having to memorize an entire city and and all that, just I don't put in a racing game to be a fucking cartographer just let me race a fast car and make big crashes happen and i don't know sometimes i mean yeah. it's not it's not like innovation in games is a bad thing of course you know we're yeah. always pushing for that but sometimes you can just go too far in one direction but then of course if you complain about it some smug fucker with a fucking mortar board on his head and a magnifying glass will go <laughs> but you always wanted innovation now you've got it be happy and then you're supposed to enjoy it like fucking space giraffe if you don't like that people go oh i thought you wanted new games yeah i wanted new games i didn't want new shit <laughs> well i think they had they had an opportunity to make it like you said like there should have been an option that you can do set tracks and they just block off roads. Like that's all they would have to do is just block off a few roads and then it's just a linear racing game. But of course, then you could always pop in Burnout 3. So it's not like there's much to say about that. But I mean, they're, they're, they're feeling out the new, the new gameplay type. And I think for the most part, it's, it's a, it's a, it's more, it hits more than it misses, but they do have some things to fix for the next one. If they do an open world, which I, I, I kind of hope they do. They should have just made it an option, dude. Why not do both? You can do both. Yeah, exactly. I think that they definitely should have had the option to do both. But I mean, I like, I love the open world. I mean, the fact that, you know, if I mess up in a race and I have to go and restart it, it's going to get irritating eventually. But but the point that it gets irritating, I can just drive around the city and create, you know, massive crashes or go and and collect uh, the 
the different things you collect at the game. Like in the demo, you're collecting um, uh, uh, billboards, yeah, and and you know finding all of the um, pass-throughs or whatever. And I mean, I'm not the type of person that's going to memorize the entire map for the city, but you know, I'll, I'll commit you know one or two like pretty handy shortcuts to memory. Um, but if I get tired of having to go back and and restart a race over and over and over again, I might just practice on the track and in the meantime, you know, create incredibly stunning crashes. Yeah, yeah I, it's it's definitely good that they're adding open world to it, though. By the same token, is uh, I think one of the commenters on the video said, "Well, there's nothing really new in the game, and that's where the open world comes in." Is that's actually a really big step where you can't just say, "Oh, it's Burnout Three with better graphics and a different track." It's better because it's it's actually a entirely new way to look at Burnout. And if you don't like it, you can go back to Burnout Three by the same token. So, kind of like it. Okay, well, with that out of the way, uh, let's move right into our regular discussion, uh, gaming characters. We start, we're going to start with, by uh, listing off some of our favorite gaming characters and why I like them so much. Now, Jim, you were, you were talking about uh, Saul this in last week's podcast. Uh, who are some, do you want to start with him or you go ahead and go any of the other yeah. favorite characters? Yeah, I mean, I discussed him last week, so I can just kind of bookend him and then we can, because Solidus for me is next to obviously Andrew Ryan, who we'll be getting to later, one of the best, what I would call the heroic villains. Um, and just one of the best villains ever in a game. It's just this guy who is very libertarian-minded, very um, principled, um, very patriotic, and completely believes in America, but he believes in it so much that he's willing to do some pretty evil things to get what he wants, to achieve a, a good end. And it's one of those things where you ask... You know, which I'll I'll ask again with Andrew Ryan, which is how much do you believe? How how important are your principles that you're willing to violate them to protect them? And I think that's a very. It's just I don't know. Solid Solid just snake makes me think a lot about that kind of of one's own personal morality and how important you think it is and how low you're willing to go to achieve a higher end. And I don't know. It's just. Something about him because I, you know, I love Liquid Snake as I said, but Solidus Snake, the complexity of the character, which goes beyond simple megalomania, simple wanting to rule the world, just makes him very interesting. I think more more villains in video games need to need to do that. Have to be out for more than just the, the usual kidnap a princess, destroy a kingdom, rule the world kind of thing. Because he didn't want to do any of those. When you got to the end of the game and you had to kill him, was it? Was it hard at all? Was it like you cared for him, or were you just sort of interested in him? Um, it's strange, because obviously the thing is, you even though that you know he's he's got noble intentions, and he in his mind he's a hero, you know, he wants to liberate America, earlier on in the game you're told that even though what Solidus wants is noble in intent, it's actually dangerous, because... What he would what he would see as liberty is pretty much anarchy, and anarchy doesn't work. You know, you take away um, the patriots. Um, oh, spoiler warning, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if you take away the patriots, which are governing America, then you take away the entire society. Uh, so you have to kill him, even though he's got good intentions. You have to kill him to just keep the balance, the the natural order that's going on. Because even though it's rather sinister and shady it's it's what's keeping the the world turning but i don't know i just think 
when when he when you actually kill him and he he falls off the top of the um, what was it city hall in isn't in New York and he just looks up at that statue of Thomas Jefferson and just puts his arm out. I think that's when I felt bad for him because you see that he was actually you know he he was a an an American patriot at heart, but he was also an evil fucker. And I'm talking so much, I need to drink a drink. Okay. Mouth go dry. We'll move on to um, Lincoln. What do you think? <laughs> you totally. We agree before the podcast that I wouldn't call him Lincoln because he doesn't remember that. But <laughs> no, I remember that. It's just weird. It's like I don't know. Like uh, I'm over it. Whatever. We're moving on. Daniel, um, what do you think? Uh, definitely got to be Cortana, just because uh, she actually was the first character that came out of the game. And I mean that in a, a literal and a metaphorical sense in that uh, she came around before Halo was even out. She came around with the Cortana letters and uh, it was Bungie's way of starting this huge underground following that became um, I Love Bees, which was the real life strategy um, based behind Halo 2. And it, it's just cool to see a character come out of a video game and it, it came out in the form of like emails. And so basically these letters came out and that's where the whole storyline not necessarily started but that was one of the first times that i ever heard about the game before i even knew what it was like i didn't even know what an xbox was at the time i was like oh my god cortana letters what the hell so it was really nice to see a character make her way out of a video game into the real world and then back in the video game by the ending of the by the conclusion of the story it's like the first time you're reunited with her i just it's just this incredible like feeling of accomplishment that you're just like you know a whole lot more than anybody else in the game. And I think that that character's um, presence just was a whole lot heavier because of the fact that they brought her out of the game and they did so much with her, like, in the background story that when she's put back into it, it's really, it really has a much more profound effect on the storyline. Uh, Case, what about you? Um, mine is actually a little weird. Uh, not because... Uh, simply because the, the character isn't really incredibly well-developed um, and isn't really incredibly popular, but uh, Bernard Bernoulli from Maniac Mansion and Daily Tentacle. Um, again, not because uh, it was a very well-developed character, but I played that game over and over and over and over again. I still have copies of it. Um, and I'll still play uh, Daily Tentacle and Maniac Mansion occasionally, just throw it on for fun. And playing those games over and over and over again, I just you know, have developed, like, a personal attachment to that character. And maybe, you know, because I've identified with it uh, as a kid or something, you know, being a nerd, I guess, <laughs> really into video games and uh, very uh, few other interests. Um, not for lack of trying. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, you see a lot of times when when people talk about their, you know, best characters, best best whatever, it's not uh, not not a lot of the reasoning, or the majority of the reasoning, I guess, isn't given, um, or isn't because uh, of their personal attachment. And that was just the first person that popped in my head when I saw, you know, top five characters immediately. Bernard Bernoulli. I can dig it. Uh, oh, my turn. I would say uh, Rex from Mass Effect, because. And I know Jim and I both have 
irritations with the uh, the gameplay of, of Mass Effect, but I think the characters is really where that game stands out. And Rex specifically to me, I really, really liked him because he's, on the one hand, he's the, sort of the epitome of every video game stereotype I hate, the, the, the Marcus Phoenix Marine, that sort of character, the, the badass with the muscles and big gun that's, you know, the big phallic gun. But he's, he, he's that sort of character in a universe where that character isn't acceptable, where it's not okay to be that sort of mindless killing machine. And He's he's completely unapologetic about all the people he kills, but at the same time, he's also this guy who is the the absolute last of his race, and so there's this weird sadness and sympathy to him that you know he's he's the last generation of this dying race of warriors who can't help the fact that genetically they they're just predisposed to kill each other, and he's 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 a completely unsympathetic character who doesn't want your sympathy, and to me that kind of made me feel more sorry for him, the fact that he wasn't willing to. I mean, later on in the game, he actually points a gun at your character, and depending on how much you care about him or what you've done for him, you know, the, the conflict can go any, any number of ways. And he's the only character in that game who really toes that line between potential enemy and really loyal friend, and I really dug that about him. But uh, let's, let's go back to Jim. Sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, no, I was going to actually have some discussion about Mass Effect and its characters uh, based off what you said, because we don't have any others from Mass Effect in in it, do we? No. So I just wanted to say, I mean, I, despite the many well-documented problems I have with Mass Effect, um, some of its characters were very good. I, I, Saren um, actually goes back to my point about Solidus and Andrew Ryan. He's another character with, even though he's a complete fucknut, he's got good intentions again. You know, he's this guy who's aligning with, he's aligned with these Reapers who want to dest- again spoilers whatever who want to um, yeah. dis- who want to destroy the universe and he thinks if he gets on their good side and helps them out then maybe they'll be maybe they they won't win but they'll live as a kind of slave race and he thinks that's the best the best that humanity has to hope for or well not humanity but you know all life in the universe has to hope for so. Again, I just think I, I, I love that kind of the, the villain who thinks he's right and thinks he's doing a good thing. That that makes up the majority of your of the of the characters you've listed. Is that sort of your? I mean, yeah. Fetish. I mean, well, it was. It was yes. It's my fetish. I there you go. <laughs> yeah. All all villains who think they're right. Oh, baby. Fat 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 man. Fat fat etc. Um, yeah, I mean, carrying on from from that, we have actually that that doesn't make up the majority of my list. That's just two of them out of the five. Well, it's three. Um, but Solidus, Andrew, and then Psycho. <laughs> Which one? Spoiler. Psycho. Oh Psychomantis. Well, okay. Well, well, well. Psychomantis. Um, no, no, he didn't. The Psychomantis is a very interesting character. I've. Well, if we're talking about fetishes, I do have this obsession with gas masks. I think they're very awesome, and I want to wear one and walk around my house in it. And Psychomantis, first of all, he's, as we were saying last week, um, the look of a character is very important, and I think he he looks the business. You know, he's got the gas mask and this long leather jacket. He just looks very fucking intimidating. Um, as far as his depth of character... This is actually something you don't know. You're never told in the game, as far as I know. 
and it's never been documented, it's not documented in the manual or anything, but the official backstory for Psychomantis is um, he, he could read minds and, and sort of go inside people's brains, and worked. he worked for the KGB. And he was on the case of a serial killer who had hidden a, a, a victim and they wanted to know where the victim was. So he dove inside this serial killer's mind, but got lost inside it, and when he came out, he brought the mind of the serial killer with him into his own head. And that's why he's this complete sociopath, this complete homicidal maniac, is that his mind merged with this serial killer to become what he is, which, you know, I, I, I thought was fascinating at any rate. But again, he's also very sim- he's a very sympathetic um, villain, even though he's just out to, as he said, kill as many people as he can. Um, you find that you know his mother miscarried, his father hated him, and that also sends him a bit funny. And he accidentally slaughtered his entire village. Um, but yeah, as I said, again, a sympathetic in a way villain, and someone who's not entirely villainous through his own doing. You know, he, he it was an accident, and he just ended up funny. I do kind of respect the purity of a character like Psychomantis, who out and out admits that he just wants to kill as many people as possible. I mean, the symp- the sympathy angle is is great, but I mean, and it, it does weird kind of way make him more sympathetic. But I mean, you know, your your megalomaniacal just just cliche of a character just I want to destroy the world, I for 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 you know power or whatever. But just for Psychomantis to be so base is just like I want to kill a lot of fucking people is kind of yeah. Cool. I mean, that also is yeah when he's um. Because he's almost, almost disdainful of what Liquid Snake wants to do, of that whole you know revolutionising and bringing back this golden age. He just says, "I didn't, I didn't care about the boss's revolution. I was just looking for an excuse to kill as many people as I could." And it's it's interesting because on the one hand you do have sympathy for him, but on the other hand you just think to yourself, "You're a douchebag." <laughs> That's a really douchey thing to do. <laughs> Why are you doing that? And he's all, oh, I don't know. And then he just starts talking about Castlevania to distract you. Yeah. Super Mario Sunshine! <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Dan, want to do another one? Um, well, now that everybody else has these extremely, like, deep theories behind theirs, I kind of picked my, uh my favorite so uh i think going to gordon freeman is just because uh he really the the way that he's portrayed throughout the entire half-life series is just kind of this like he's like the all generic video game character if you think about it i mean he starts off and you know normal somewhat and he gets into this super suit and all of a sudden he's awarded powers and that illustrates how like you know, in all these video games, well, not all of them, but in most of these video games, it's all about, you know, obtaining that power and what you do with it. And then as you go through the storyline, you get to see more and more about him. And then when you're, you know, as you're going through this, like, you have interactions with Alex and, and you have all these different interactions with different people. And it's kind of like you he's one of the characters that I actually feel a part of because of the way that they do the cutscenes in the story. And you feel like you're Gordon Freeman and then taking him out of the video game. Uh, I remember we were at E for All, and uh, I, I believe it was Tiff saw somebody that was gr- dressed up as Gordon Freeman, and it was just kind of weird, like this sense of she totally talked to him as if it was him. She's just like Gordon, like Gordon Freeman, and the way she did that, it just kind of enveloped this vision in my mind that I think Gordon Freeman has been developed 
for me personally, as more of a sensible character, more than 3D, as in a 2D character, which is like Mario. Like, I, I listed Mario just because he's so like popular and he's in everything, but he doesn't seem like I get absolutely no personality out of him because he's thrown in all these different situations. And so that's one of the reasons I bring him up is just that as in contrast to Mario, I, I feel that Gordon Freeman has this deep feeling to him and, and that as you play through the game, you really get to know him through how he interacts with other characters and how other characters interact with him. And so I really like that aspect of him. I could go into a huge pretentious discussion, and I have done with uh, the aforementioned Mr. Horton, um, about Gordon Freeman. We've, we've had huge discussions about the, the meta levels of him and, and how even though he never speaks and you never get given a character for him, he is one of the most expressive characters in all of gaming. Yeah, throughout because, like interactions of different characters and just in the way that he yeah. goes around. And, and not just that, but in... I mean, where Valve has been very clever is they do what they can to make you feel like... Not that you're in the game, but that you are Gordon Freeman. Yeah, exactly. And you, and you feel like Gordon Freeman. Half of the game, half of that game is being played in your head. Mm-hmm. You actually feel... You don't think like... Like in Bioshock, where the silent protagonist... Often the silent protagonist is so that you can feel like you are in the game. You don't feel like that. You, you feel like you're in the game, but you still don't feel like yourself. You feel like you are Gordon Freeman. And yeah. you feel very important, and and it just... I don't know, I, I like to think, because Valve thinks very carefully about where players are looking and what players are doing, and I think they, I think they have in their mind an image of what Gordon thinks and feels like, and they try and elicit that from every player. So even though we all have personal feelings about when we're playing Half-Life, we're all having the same experience, almost. So we're all giving Gordon Freeman this character... Who is, I like how Janet, everybody yeah, everybody looks up to him, but they don't worship him. You know, it's like he's another member of the team. He's like Alex is, you know, equally as important to the story. And there's these other individuals that make the Half-Life story possible. And it's not like this. I mean, you look at the Master Chief and everybody's like, oh, my God, it's the Chief. Jesus Christ. And it just he doesn't have that like a order around him as he goes around. He feels like a, a normal person that's doing what he can to help in the situation, which I really love about him. Mm. I also think it's funny how they make a point of him never speaking, because in other, in other video games, you know, you're, you have to do all these ridiculous, over-the-top things, that, and, and you never question it. You never question what's... You know, you're like, oh, I'm Simon Belmont, and now I'm fighting this giant floating Medusa head. And you just <laughs> don't question it. And I think I always get that sense with Gordon Freeman is he's doing all this stuff and you just sometimes want him to say, why are you asking me to do it? For fuck's yeah. sake. But he doesn't <laughs> question. He just he just goes ahead and does it because no one else is going to do it. And it's... I don't know, I think it's... It's, him, it's something. I think I get a sense almost of, of comparing Gordon Freeman to Ash from The Evil Dead. Um, really? You know, he, he does one thing. He goes through all this shit and then suddenly... Just like Ash at the end of uh, Evil Dead 2, he's in this other world, he's done something heroic, and all these people are chanting his name, and you just feel like Gordon Freeman is thinking, oh, God, no. Yeah. Oh, fuck, not again. Well, <laughs> I... Well, I think you guys have stumbled onto a question that almost everybody in the comments asked, which is, do you relate more to a character who is fully developed, fully fleshed out when you get there, like, say, Solid Snake, or someone who is essentially a blank slate 
that you superimpose your emotions onto, like Gordon Freeman or uh, Jack and Bioshock. Definitely superimpose for sure. I because I, I think that when you when you see a character that's been fully developed, it's more like watching a movie, and it's kind of like hit or miss. Like you, you can see a character fully developed, and you're just like, yeah, well, that was that guy, and, or you can see this blank slate, and you can form it into exactly what you had imagined. You see, I was always I was always against silent protagonists um, on on the on their basic principle of as, as it makes you feel like you're you can relate more to a silent guy. I used to always say to myself, "No, that that's bollocks. That doesn't work." Until I played uh, Bioshock and Half Life, and then I started to change um, Half Life, especially. Um, so I think I but I think there's room for both. Um, but I think the silent protagonist should nearly always be included in an FPS. I think that's that's important. I don't like FPSs where I'm a predefined character. It just doesn't work in my head. But for something like an RPG, or, or well, it depends again on the RPG, but something like a Final Fantasy, I prefer to have a character who is fleshed out. I prefer to play that particular role that Square Enix wants me to play. So I think in different games it can work in different situations. I mean... Solid Snake, as we mentioned, as you mentioned, he's a very, I think he's a very likable character. He's, um, he was one of the first of the, you know, these kind of gruff, gritty, grizzled, unfazed kind of guys. But there's also a depth to him that you don't get with, say, um, Marcus Phoenix or whatever. Yeah, definitely. So I think they've, you know, both have their uses, and I would hate to see it be either or. You know, there's room for both, and I'm very glad we have both. Case, what do you think? Well, I mean, I could really go either way on it. Um, uh, on the one hand, I don't necessarily want to, uh, like, like, like Daniel said, uh, just start a story, uh, you know, or like a movie or whatever, with a fully fleshed out character that I haven't been able to develop myself. But by that same token, for certain types of games, like like RPGs, you you want a fully fleshed out character. You know, you you don't want a blank template. Um, that that you have to just completely start with. Uh, for FPSs, that's a lot more conducive to it. But <clears throat> you used an interesting word, uh, superimpose. You know, maybe like an, you're a small portion of your own personality on certain characters that are blank blank slates to, to begin with. And I don't necessarily want to do that. I don't I don't want to you know superimpose my own uh, personality on a character as it develops. Uh, I prefer to watch them develop as I play through the game um, and it, when I was a kid I didn't really play a lot of games it was uh, mostly books you know I, I had a I had a, a few games that, that I played on a fairly regular basis but you know we were really poor or whatever so it, I just read a lot and so I think I got used to that kind of character development um, where you could you know become attached to the character or uh, maybe feel similar to the character um but you're you're never the character and and i just don't i i don't find myself superimposing uh any aspect of of my own personality onto characters i just prefer to watch them grow and just kind of go along in the story with them that's odd it's the, it's the exact sort of opposite um way I, I tend to react most to video games where you look at um and I hate to say it because everybody always says, but Shadow of the Colossus or Bioshock or anything like that, that you can I, I can I can put whatever I want into that game and get the exact same amount out 
in, in, in versus something like I mean, I, as much as I love uh, this the Solid Snake character, sometimes you know we'll we'll butt heads emotionally about how he should feel about something, or you know he'll he'll say Meryl, and I won't really give a shit about Meryl or vice versa. He won't he, like he didn't really uh, seem to mind that much when poor Otacon's cousin got ganked right in front of him, and I was you know really emotional about that. So I kind of like it when even in Zack and Wiki, you know the the least story driven game of all time, I found myself by the end of the game. Since Zach had no personality to speak of, but when he does, when he shows a bit of personality that I was relating to, when he when he jumps up and tries to sacrifice himself, spoilers, and does that heroic thing, I was I was just with him all the way because I felt you know since he since he hadn't done anything that contradicted my feelings since he hadn't done anything period, I I was I was in a position to to care a lot more about him and feel the same things he was feeling. So, I mean that's a thing with interactive entertainment to me is that. Instead of just watching it passively or reading it passively, as you were saying, case with a book, it's those emotions can happen to you, and they can be much more effect- effective when they're happening to you, or you feel like they're happening to you. So that's that's just my take on it. It's interesting well, that, you mentioned the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, so I mean, that isn't to say that like I'm not you know re- rejoicing with the su- successes of of my characters or you know feeling shitty for their failings. I mean, I definitely. Um, I get pissed if, if I fuck up or if like, you know, I, I, I die or if something particularly horrible happens to a character, um, that I'm playing, I mean, it, it definitely sucks. And I mean, I feel that, but by that same token, I, I'm not necessarily viewing that as like myself superimposed in this world. It's, it's this character that I've watched develop that, I mean, it's almost, um, it's it's almost like a, almost a, a protective type of feeling as opposed to feeling like I'm there. I understand what you're saying. I didn't I didn't I didn't think I was Zach. When he starts ringing bells and stuff. Well, I think I right, misspoke right. there. But I mean, it's just like like guiding this person, you know, character or whatever through through this world and with it. Uh, pitfalls and 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 problems to solve and and a, a lot of opportunities to fuck up really badly. Uh, when you fuck up, it it sucks. And it, but at the same time, I'm not you know you, when you get like really really into a game and, and you just kind of zone out. I, I'm not superimposing myself in that world. I'm not I'm not getting to it from that perspective. Jim, you were going to say something. Um, no, I was just going to bring you back to that scene you mentioned with Solid Snake not really caring about, um, was it when Oscar's sister was dying? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, because that's actually one of my favourite snake scenes of all time. Because I think it, I, I, I actually think it really, um, cause, I mean, Sons of Liberty is amazing when it comes to characterising Snake, even though you re- barely play him. But I just think the just the awkwardness of Snake in that scene really shows you a lot about what this so-called heartless killer um, really feels like on the inside. Um, there's, you know, he's supposed to, you're supposed to be really sensitive. You know, this woman is dying on the floor. Her brother is stooped over him. Uh, Raiden comes in and Snake, with absolutely no sense of subtlety, just goes, it's real bad. She's bleeding all over the place. Um <laughs> <laughs> just no sense of decorum or etiquette whatsoever and he's and then when he actually sees some actual emotion being displayed by um Otacon and his sister he just turns away he just turns his back on it and can't look and i just think that's very i don't know it really it told me a lot about snake it's just the fact he he almost couldn't handle seeing 
the consequences of death. And you yeah, know, I, death that he has caused many times. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I... I the exact wrong example to, to prove. I should have said the the love on a battlefield discussion from MGS one because you're playing as him there. But I I you're you're absolutely right that 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 is a, that is a good scene. But it just the just the idea of what you're thinking, what the protagonist is clashing is 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 problematic yeah. to me. But that that scene's great. I love the fact that oh I ha- I, I kind of hated it, but in, in retrospect retrospect I like the moments that the idea that Solid Snake becomes this this very character. He seems a lot for some maybe this is just me, but he seems a lot badass and epic when you're not playing as him. When he's just this guy who can come oh, yeah. up in a helicopter and go, "No, that is not Snake." and then shoot a rocket at Solidus. I think that's why you know, people trash Raiden so much and they talk they complain cuz you can't play a Snake very much. And I'm like, "Fuck off. That game is 100% about Solid Snake. He is unquestionable star of Sons of Liberty. The game is about him, and it's about showing showing you from someone else's eyes. He, if you were playing as him, he couldn't he couldn't have shown you the guy being all-knowing and savvy and, in, and, and, you know, really clued in, because you're the player. You can't be that clued in, because that's not what a gameplay experience is often about. So you get to see him through the eyes of this, you know, this fresh-faced, naive character and can really... You just get that second dimension that you don't always get when you're playing as a character. Sometimes you've just got to watch a character. Even in video games where interactivity is important, sometimes you you do have to just observe, and I think that can be part of the game-playing experience as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Case, it's your turn. All right. Well, I have a a pick here that is... uh, probably going to garner me a fair amount of shit um simply because it's fairly stereotypical but but i think i have solid reasoning for it um and i was a little torn i couldn't really decide um weighted companion cube is on there it it was it was a tie between weighted companion cube and glados i mean glados is obviously uh, a character you know imbued with a significant amount of personality and i think it would be easy to say for a lot of people, that they really enjoyed that character, and that was possibly one of their favorite characters in the game. But by that same token, Weighted Companion Cube, as a, a completely stationary, um, inanimate object, to to have had it, again, imbued with so much character, in spite of the fact that it did absolutely nothing throughout <laughs> the entire game except get incinerated. I mean, you know... People felt bad when they had to toss the the fucking cube in in a fire. You don't you don't emote for for something like that. You you don't you don't feel that for you know an object in a game very often. You know it, it's a tool that you had to use throughout the game and then discard. And it speaks pretty highly to Valve, I think, that mm-hmm. they can make you know again, this inanimate object just a, a, an actual character in the game. You know, people view the way to companion cube as a character in portal. And that's not to say everyone does. And that, that was, you know, obviously a contentious statement to make, but I think a lot of people would agree that it's a character in the game. And, and like, uh, Jim was saying earlier, um, you know, Gordon Freeman doesn't say anything throughout half-life. He doesn't really emote. And you get a sense of a really strong sense of character from him. And it just, it's something that the valve can do really really well you know they, they can make you understand the state of of a character and, and and who they are supposed to be without actually making them say anything 
and I think the mm. weighted companion cube, it, it, to do that, especially in such a brief game, is pretty astounding. But I think the weighted companion cube got a, a whole lot of um, personality from the internet. And I, I mean, agree. I don't... I don't mean to take credit away from Valve. It was a great invention, and it was great that it was put in the game. But I think the weighted companion cube is popular in the sense that Showgirls and Snakes on a Plane is popular, where the internet was just like, holy shit, like, this is so amazing. And I, I think if you were to be uh, just an anyday consumer that purchased the orange box, you would see the weighted companion cube and incinerate it with nothing. And, like, a friend of mine who went through the entire game, and I was like, did you see the weighted companion cube? And he's like, the what? And I was like, the weighted companion cube? Come on, the cube with the hearts on it. And he's like, oh, yeah, what, what the fuck was up with that? And that was it. I think that if you weren't so attached to the internet and it wasn't, like, you didn't get so much gaming culture that we get, I don't think the, the weighted companion cube would have the same effect on a player. I think it was, it was definitely in some ways made with us in mind with the kind of gamers that love to jump on viral things and memes and that. Yeah. I think Val- Valve is very good at knowing their audience. And when I, when GLaDOS told me I had to burn the weighted companion cube, all I could think of was, Valve, you fuckers. <laughs> you knew exactly what you were doing, you, you sly bastards. It's just pure, psycho- just a psychological ambush. And I do. I really applaud them for that because they fucking got me, and I and I held that cube over that fucking incinerator, and could barely <laughs> do it. And then I, I so it. I just want to see yeah. you like staring at the monitor with the cube <laughs> over the incinerator with this grin on your face, like no, this cannot be happening. Trying to sneak like, it onto the elevator you, and when, shit. And when you drop it, and then Glade just says, "Congratulations, you're one of the fastest people to yeah. have ever done that." <laughs> You're the biggest heartless bastard that's ever <laughs> gone through this chamber. I, I would say, I mean, I think the weighted companion cube is just one of the best practical jokes that a game has ever played on someone. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that, I mean, just a, a fucking great prank. You listen to Walpole or whatever, and they they didn't really create it with with the idea of making gamers really care about it and and love it in the way that they have. It was more, yeah, it was more geared toward humor and that. But the fact that it, the fact that it's completely tied into the gameplay for that level, this actually sort of leads into one of the, the a couple of the characters I was going to mention. But like Alex Vance in Half Life, or like Agro in in Shadow of the Colossus, if you are using a character for gameplay to to further the gameplay to help you out, it, you care about them that much more. The way to Companion Cube, you cannot possibly finish that that sequence without using the way to Companion Cube at every stage of the of the of the the room. So you begin to care for more in the same way that you need aggro to get to certain areas in Shadow of the Classes, and you need um, Ale- uh, Alex Vance to help you into rooms and kill bad guys for you and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that brings me to um, Alex Vance. And she's probably my favorite video game character of all time, and I have to be careful about how I say this because it will come out creepy and odd. But as we were talking about before, since you are to some degree Gordon Freeman, you, f- you should be feeling the same things he feels. Valve has been very, very, very good about giving Alex just the right amount of, um, let's say, attraction toward Gordon and just dispensing them in perfect amounts through Half-Life 2 and then the episodes. It feels like you're, you're sort of part of, of this typical action movie love story that's, that's never really consummated and it's just you know, suggestive glances and you know, people accidentally saying how they feel. And those 
up to like you really really care about Alex and feel like Alex really cares about you despite the fact that you know everything she's saying is scripted she's just an AI but I've never had that connection to a character like I have with had with with Alex or or with Dog I mean I was literally yelling at my monitor at the end of Half-Life episode 2 when certain things happen and I thought that Alex or Dog was going to get killed I mean I've never not even in movies have I been yelling at the screen you know saying no don't or whatever i mean maybe that just speaks poorly of me but the, the writing's good too i think dog was overflowing with personality too and that was great i mean i don't, I don't mean to sidetrack or interrupt you but uh no no like, dog, dog. that's the first time dog's been mentioned and it's just like for a robot dog come on that thing had a, a, a ton of like emotions and all that stuff and the way mm. he interacted with alex and it was just like you're like yeah dude that that's a dog like right there that robot and it I mean, I really enjoyed playing through and meeting Alex and Dog, and and to that degree, uh, I enjoyed exactly what you were saying, Rev, is that they never exactly express their feelings to each other. There's just these suggestive glances, and I believe that the first time you see Alex, like, you're going down the elevator with her, and you're kind of, like, checking her out. Like, I, I don't mean to be perverted, but you're like, okay, this is a new <laughs> character. So you're obviously looking at her, and she looks at you, and she just, like, she's just kind of like, what's up? Like, my name is Alex. Nice to meet you. And it's just, like, this awkward feeling. That I don't know. I, I I don't really see the same expressions that I see in Half Life that I do in other games. Yeah, I mean, gets... as as you were all saying, you know, it is great that Valve decided to put her in those really tight. G- oh, we weren't talking about fuck. Don't carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you were making a joke. She's not the typical video game babe. You do, she shares no cleavage. She's never been in a bikini in the entire Half Life saga. And you still care about it. I love she, that. And yeah. she's also, and she is also very attractive, and not in that huge tits swinging way. Yeah. She's, she's, you know, attractive. She's, like, she's not yeah, she's hot. spunky she and is, she's smart. Yeah, and she just got I, you know just this understated prettiness to her facial features and just the body is just perfectly proportioned. It's just amazing work. And I think Valve are fucking ten times the psychologists of any fucking Lawrence Cooper or whatever. They really. They really know how people think, and they... I don't know, Alex is just... She's almost like this this kind of girl that you... Anyone, anyone could really see themselves liking. Absolutely. And I think what's so great about the way that they, they, they drew... Or not drew, but the way they developed Alex and Dog is that you go through this... This gets into a uh, reader question we're going to get to later. I'll, I'll just say it now. But um, Seer, C-E-A-R-K... I don't know how you pronounce that. But he says, but what do you think of a lack of story slash character arcs in a lot of popular games like we see in movies where a character starts out one way, ends another, and there's this this arc of change that they go through? And just to quickly answer that in relation to, to Alex and Dog, I don't agree. I think that there are character arcs, especially with, with Alex and with the way you feel as Gordon the player, the way you feel toward Alex and the way you feel toward Dog, because you start out with Alex and Dog just training you along, helping you. They haven't really done anything. Then you get into combat with them and you become their, like, in a weird way, respect them when you see Dog jump onto a combine van and then do a, a somersault and then kick it into a fucking building, or when Alex, you know, beats the shit out of, out of headcrabs yeah. or whatever. And then you see them at their very, their most epic. I mean, I can probably die reasonably having seen Dog fight a Strider one-on-one. Oh, yeah. And to, to see them go from, from small scale to large scale in that way, it not only changes the character and the way they act, but it changes the way that you, as Gordon Freeman, as the character or as yourself, feels toward them. You, you change. So there is an arc, and it's the most subtle character art ever because it's you to me. Yeah. 
I'll tell you what as well, in between the epic bits, when you see them at their most vulnerable as well, I think it was. I think it's the beginning of episode two when you're on the train and the train crashes, and yeah. you rescue um, Alex, who's been sort of trapped by like um, one of those cases with the stalkers inside. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that's episode and one. The stalker, yeah, the, uh, and the stalker, yeah, and the stalker is screaming in her face, and you rescue her, and she is for the whole time you're getting out of the complex, um, out of the citadel. She's shaking. She's been. Almost, you know, she's yeah. been fucking traumatized, and every, and throughout the entire citadel, this, this freaky shit keeps happening to her, and she's really getting fucking upset, and she's trying not to show it, and and you as the player watching her, f- trying desperately not to freak out when that when she wants to just scream, but she obviously has a job to do. You just you really, I felt really attached to her and just wanted to try and get her out of it and and make things better and it's i just think it was very that for me is what when i think about alex just that just those vulnerable moments where she isn't this gunslinging heroine but a real person who you know just just wants an, a normal life and doesn't have to have fucking emaciated monsters screaming in her face yeah, and she has a connection with her dad, too. I mean, you always see the conversations with her and her dad, and the first time they see each other, they're reunited. And it's just like, oh, you know, real person. And you just get a lot mm. more personality out of that than just some girl that runs around in a tight skirt writing tombs. You know? Yeah. I think when she was uh, in in an episode when, when the, the advisor comes out and it does its little mind shock on you and Alex and afterwards she has to lean up against a, a door and catch her breath and you know she's, she's mm. really shaken I wish that there was a hug button I honestly did just for a little bit just, to, just go up press H and then you and Alex hug and you feel better never... <laughs> probably the gayest thing I've ever oh said but... <laughs> so amazing. I can see that in the keybind, like in like all the different things, like oh, jump and duck. Like we're under everything is hug. <laughs> jump, like... jump, duck, reload, shoot, hug. That's <laughs> that's the future of gaming, as far as I'm concerned. People would run around hugging everything, though. They'd be like, "Look at it, it's a picture of me hugging the zombie." And did <laughs> <laughs> you guys see the um, controller like today uh, that that got like um, that had like the displays on the buttons? And I mean, what what would you display? I guess for for like the <laughs> hug button on your 360 controller. I, I put a, a, a picture little... of a, a stick figure, a hands outstretched, looking lonely. <laughs> <laughs> a stick figure looking lonely. Yeah, just with its its arms outstretched, waiting for an embrace. But uh, we're going back to you, Jim. Um, okay, I've done two deep, complex characters, so now I'm just going to go for a completely camp, over-the-top, ridiculous villain with fantastic hips, and that's Kuja, <laughs> who I fucking love. And I'm sure people are... Exp- you know, people want me to talk about Kefka, but fuck you. I tried to play it on a not emulator and saved in the wrong place and totally fucked myself up. So I'm not going to talk about Kefka. I'm actually going to talk about Kuja, who is... I love Kuja. He's so camp. Just just fuck all of the bullshit I was talking earlier about important characters with deep, complex motives. He's just camp as shit. And it's brilliant, and he rides on a rides on a white dragon and flops his hair about, and is just oh, I'm so pretty, and I don't know if if he's a man or a woman, but I want him, and he's just great. 
but no, I mean, he's he's just not only is he really camp and amusing and has jesters for lackeys, but he is um, just a, a just a pure cunt. There's no other <laughs> way to say it. This is a guy who found out he was almost terminally ill as any of any of his species is. He hasn't got long to live, and he was just at the cusp of achieving ultimate power, and then just said, and it's one of my favourite lines in a video game of all time, if I can't exist, I won't let the world exist either. And <laughs> that wasn't the exact line, so I have forgotten it, but it was along those lines. It was basically, you know, if I'm dying, every fucker's dying. No, that was it, that was it. He said, I can't let the world exist without me in it. Just that, <laughs> That's badass. Yeah, just that pure narcissism, that pure ego, egotistical drive that if he can't exist, nobody else can either because, you know, the world does not deserve to not have him be part of it. It was just... And then he just proceeded to just blow shit up. And that's all I can say. There's no depth to that one. It's just, <laughs> fan- it's just fantastic. Fair enough. Dan? Uh, well, one that I put down that was memorable but not unique or like uh, deep in any way is just Mario because whenever you see Mario, you immediately think of video games. And everybody immediately thinks of video games. And I know it's very cliche of me to choose him for uh, one of my characters, but he's not necessarily one of my favorite, but he's definitely one of my most memorable because I grew up with Mario. Mario was the very first video game I ever played was Mario 64. And it was just like, oh, my God. He's running around and it's just he's unique in a sense that he has absolutely no personality at all. I mean he's this little chubby plumber that runs around and saves his princess who never puts out and like he sacrifices his entire life for her and that's it. And in any Mario game you could throw him into anything. It's like oh Mario Olympics, you know Mario Tennis. It's just a character and I think that it's kind of beautiful in that sense that he can be like he's just generic i mean it's just the most generic character that you're ever going to see in any video game and yet he's the most memorable to me at least so So, he's like a symbol uh, yeah it's he's he's not necessarily like one of the best but the way it's worded as most memorable yeah he's definitely one of the most memorable video games and i think that's also because he's so widely like known and you walk around anywhere that has a lot of video game stuff, and Mario's going to be somewhere. You look at somebody's tattoos, and if they have any video game tattoos, they're going to have a Mario on them, and, and just stuff like that. But I think you could always go back to the basic building block of Mario. Even though he has no character development, there's no like storyline behind him, and he doesn't have any dialogue. I still think that he's kind of important to the video game scene as a whole. Well, like he's He's become like inextricably linked with you know gaming as a phenomenon, not not to you know gamers. Even though uh, you know Mario is is definitely iconic in in that regard to just gamers in general, but to just the general public. I mean, everybody knows who Mario is. If you're not a gamer, if you've never played you know Super Mario Brothers, you know who Mario is. It's he's just become this cultural icon that that represents gaming. Um, to you know the general public, I, I'm, aside from the icons of you know sex and inc- incredibly graphic violence and sodomy, uh, Mario <laughs> stands uh, stands above those all. We're we're he working can, on, on the ladder. He can be part of all that. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we, sure we can have Mario sodomy. Well, Fox World News is saying that Super Mario Galaxy includes uncensored sex between Mario and Peach. Yep. She never puts out. That's bullcrap. <laughs> Mario and Rosalina, then. He was cramming his mushroom in a warp pipe. <laughs> it's a me. It's a me. <laughs> Doing your upper the ass. <laughs> oh my god, that was Jim Sterling plus Italian accent plus ass. That was like I think that equals Podtoid history. Yeah, that should be the Podtoid intro. It's just Jim Sterling saying it's me up the ass with an Italian. Well, I wouldn't accent. want to rob that <laughs> context. It's it's beautiful as is. But uh. Case? Yeah, that's why I like Mario. <laughs> <laughs> the anal sex connotations. That's it. <laughs> uh, so I, I could have picked uh, for for my, I guess, next or, or last one or whatever. I, I could have really easily picked um, Andrew Ryan, uh, but I didn't. Because Andrew Ryan s- scared the fucking piss out of me for the longest time. Um, I picked Sandra Cohen. And I think that, you know, in spite of the fact that Andrew Ryan was an incredibly well-developed character and the fact that, you know, I I was scared shitless for a while, I actually stopped playing the game for a while because I did not want to finish it um, because I was, you know, freaked out by it. It was was definitely freaking me out. And with Sander Cohen... um, when you, you know, you, you, you played through Fort Frolic or whatever, uh, it's, it, it's, it's almost tragic, you know? He, he seems like such a tragic character in spite of the fact that, you know, he's a total douchebag and uh, bumped off, um, um, oh, God, I can't remember the, the name of the piano player or whatever. Um, spoilers, spoilers. Uh, but uh, it, I, I, I couldn't kill him, you know? I, I, I played through it twice now, and, and the second time through, I was, you know, going to go through it and, and play everything... Um, you know, uh, kill the little sisters instead of saving them. Just play the opposite way that I had played, and and at that point I could not. I just couldn't kill Sandra Cohen both times, and so I don't have really? that achievement. Yeah, I just yeah. couldn't do it. He seems so. He seems like such a tragic character, even though he's he, slitting people's throats and making them into statues. Yeah, yeah I couldn't yeah. do it either. He, I just need to remember. Guys I mean, should have was... killed him. You can get some achievements out of it. No. no. Yeah. I, I had no, but like I had this scene like blazed in my head where he's walking down the stairs right after you do everything, and I was just I was aiming the pistol at his head, and my roommate was like, "Shoot him, shoot him, shoot him," and I was like, "No, you don't have any idea about the story at all." And he's like, "What are you talking about? I just watched him make you kill people and take pictures of them, and for some reason I still couldn't shoot him until my roommate had to lean over and pull the trigger for me because I couldn't, <laughs> I didn't have it in me to shoot this guy, and I don't know why, what? but it's like." What made him sympathetic so. to you guys? Because I did the exact opposite thing. The first second I saw that guy, I was like, oh, fuck you. And then I ran at him with a, with a, <laughs> a bolt launcher. I hated that mother. He reminded me of my drama teacher, but if my drama teacher was, was murderous, he was everything <laughs> I hated. What, why did you guys feel sympathy for him? He seemed, he seemed pathetically insane. You know, he, he, was, he was just holding on to this dream and just could not let it go at all. And it... And, at least, you know, with, with Andrew Ryan's dream of rapture, he had developed a fucking underwater city. I mean, you know, if, if that started to go to shit, but I still had my underwater city, I'm not going to cut that loose and just start over, you know? Sander Cohen had a, a really shitty run in the theater in rapture, and he's just obsessed with this idea of himself as a star and 
dicked over everybody in in rapture in order to to achieve the level of stardom and and fame and and uh, accolades that he felt that he deserved and in the end he just ends up being this just this this sad like pathetic really just destroyed character that that I just felt bad for and if if you don't if you don't end up, end up shooting him he just kind of stands there staring at his statues he just he doesn't move and you can walk all around him and I spent like a good five or ten minutes just looking at the look on his face as he's as he's staring at uh, these these sculptures that he's created or whatever and his uh, his collage with all of your pictures collected and uh it's just it's so mourn it just looks like somebody that has been wholly and completely broken inside and it's it's hard for me to hate somebody like that i just feel sad for them i yeah, think that's, that's a running theme with with all of the characters in Bioshock, even up to, even as far as Frank Fontaine, who, spoiler warning again, whatever, who, um, just, just put in the, in the post for this podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll put spoiler in just fucking spoilers. Fuck off. <laughs> What's great moaning. is most of the time, the warnings come after you guys say something. You're just like, oh, and then he yeah. dies. Spoiler. <laughs> by the way, Fontaine is Atlas, so. Okay. I'm sorry, if, 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 if you haven't played Bioshock by now, fuck you. Yeah, or your Brad Rice. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) who's who's too busy playing fucking Bug Island (laughs) instead of Bioshock? This is the price you pay, Rice. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think even as far as Frank Fontaine, who spends who spends the latter half of the game saying, you know, you think there's something to save down here? There's nothing but Ryan's faded dream. Go get stepped on by a big daddy. I'm such a stereotype, you sugar. He spends his whole time doing that telling you how there's nothing in Rapture and how pathetic Rapture is, and yet he still wants to be the king of it. He still wants to rule this pathetic... And you just think, you you sad, pathetic little man who wants to basically be Lord of the Flies, who wants to rule these insane splices like it matters. And all the characters right now... Um, Dr. Steinman is another character I absolutely adore in Bioshock. Just all these people, they think they're so important and what they're doing matters. And they're not. They're in this run-down shack under the sea. Nothing they ever do is ever going to matter. And I feel this disgusted sympathy for all of them. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's a, one of the running themes in Bioshock, which I liked a lot. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm... All of us had Andrew Ryan on our lists, and I, I like you were saying, Jay, they all, they all the characters, all the boss enemies in Bioshock, as characters, start from a completely defensible position. You know, Andrew Ryan's entire uh, is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow. Of course, he is. And I'm saying that, you know, it, it sounds a little fascist once you know what happens, but when Simon says. Do we allow the sick to live with the healthy? Do we allow you know criminals to live with, with regular? Do we allow really really ugly people to live with people who can be really really beautiful? It's like well I guess that makes a, a sort of sense that these people can win you over at the same time they've already done all their horrible horrible things and you know the consequences of their actions. There's it's such a complex method of feeling sympathy mm-hmm. for and hatred for in alternate doses for these for these villains. Like I love Sandra Cohen. But, you know, in the same way that you, I think that you like Kuja, Jim. I mean, I, I despised everything that the guy stood for because I could totally understand what sort of man this was before Rapture went to shit. He was just an arrogant bastard. And then when his world crumbled around him, he refused to acknowledge. 
And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just... It's, it's what I love about Bioshock and why I really don't want to see a prequel that shows them before, because you just you get to see the downfall of each of these men and how they start to just get corrupted. When they're given the freedom to live their ideals, they start to corrupt their own ideals because they just... There's no one to tell them they've gone too far. I mean, my, one of my favourite audio diaries is um, Dr. Steinman, who... He he finishes doing this plastic surgery job on this woman's face, and then just thinks to himself, "I wonder what would happen if I did this." And then just starts cutting away, and he's whistling while the nurse is screaming for the surgeon general, and he's just cutting away quite happily because he's just he's been given too much, and he just again just gets this sense of power and his own important little world. He's got that and wonderful happened- quote where he talks about uh, Picasso. Painted the fa- once he got bored with regular portraits, he painted the face in a weird way. So why shouldn't he be able mm. to do that with real human faces? Yeah, and it just goes back to that famous quote of uh, "absolute power corrupts absolutely." He became every single one of them. Cohen, Steinman, they they became gods in their own little meaningless worlds, and just let it get to them. And be- and you know they they in their minds they became their masters of everything and. They actually had fuck all. It, it occurs to me in, in stating that how, how much we love all these Bioshock characters that we've inadvertently fulfilled the sort of 4chan meme for the for the, the podcast. We've we've all essentially said, I think Bioshock is a pretty cool guy. He betrays his own ideals and doesn't afraid of anything. <laughs> I love that meme. I'm sorry. I, I, no, I, I adore it too. But I do think that meme is a pretty cool guy. He... Makes us laugh and doesn't afraid of anything. <laughs> okay, so are we... I guess we're back to you, Jim. Are we back to me? Um, yes. Okay. I will say, because I know Colette wants me to and a few others as well, and we could really talk about most of the characters from Silent Hill too, but we don't have much time. Well, enough time. But James Sunderland is perhaps, because nearly everybody else on my list of all-time great characters across any medium is are all villains, because villains fascinate me. But James Sunderland, I mean, he, he, he can be classed as a villain depending on what your views are and what he did. But he is one of the few heroes that I just, I really love him. He's just so fantastic, even though he's not, he's not perfectly corrupted. And he does a lot of... There are a lot of times in Silent Hill where he does things and trusts people and goes into places where he shouldn't, and you're just thinking, you fucking retard, stop being a retard. And But even so, he's really likeable, and you spend your whole game liking him, um, not because he's particularly nice even, but just because he's this regular guy who just wants to find some truth and wants to get some peace of mind. And you go with him on this adventure, and very much like Harry in the first Silent Hill, he's so unlike your gunslinging, muscle-bound, roid freak like Marcus Phoenix or or what have you. He's he's an everyman. He's just this regular guy in a very fucked-up place, and you can see him just trying to help other people and be nice. And then you get to the scene in the hotel, and it just flips everything suddenly the guy you've been with and playing the whole time 
potentially murdered his wife. Spoiler warning, by the way. And <laughs> and then you just don't know what to think anymore. You just you don't know what what to think. And he's just sitting there saying, "I did it. I killed her." And and you're never explicitly told. I mean, different endings will hint at it, but you're never explicitly told whether he did what he did, whether he murdered his wife or whether it was euthanasia. God, I wish I'd played this game before doing this podcast. You've never played. You've never played Silent Hill two. No, I I couldn't. I I tried to play the game from the series from the beginning, but it was just something about the Silent Hill one controls. I, I promised myself I would go back to Silent Hill two, but I just never got around to it because I'm an awful oh, person. No, I feel really. I'm not going to shout at you, but I feel bad for you. I feel bad for me too. Now that you've said that, because it sounds really interesting. It's such a great. It's it's so well written. I was actually I was actually going to do a community blog last night, but couldn't be fucked. Because <laughs> um, I was thinking about Silent Hill 2 again, and I was just getting really depressed because no other game has taken me on such a cleverly written, well paced, dark story story arc like that that like that game has. Nobody, no other game. I mean, there has been huge epic ones. I mean, Metal Gear Solid 3, for instance, has been one of the few games to really emotionally get me. But no game has been as bleak. No game has made me feel as as alienated and confused and creeped out as Silent Hill 2. I just think it's perfect. Not gameplay-wise, but as far as writing and pacing and an experience goes, it's perfect. And every single character in there is amazingly realised, well thought out, well placed. Even what you would think of as a two-dimensional character like Eddie who has just been going around killing people, you you get from what he says, you can see where he's gone wrong and where he's become twisted. And it's just great. And I like it. It's a pretty cool guy. Do you have to have played the first Silent Hill to get that some same sort of reaction out of it? No, I mean, that, that's again what I love about Silent Hill 2 is um, Silent Hill 1 and Silent Hill 3 and to a smaller degree Silent Hill 4 is kind of connected. But Silent Hill 2... You're not even told when it takes place in the Silent Hill story arc. It could be the very first in the timeline, it could be the very last, could happen in between. You don't know where it... I have my own theories, but I could do a, I could, I could do a fucking three-hour-long lecture on that, and I'm not going to, but it, it, it does exist in its, in its own kind of plot bubble. You can just launch straight into it. All you have to know is that Silent Hill is a pretty fucked-up town. And that's all you need to know. You don't need to know anything else. In fact, Silent Hill 2 was the first Silent Hill game I ever played so so you do you don't need silent hill one at all in fact i mean i'm not a huge not silent hill one's hugest fan um and i'm not even a big fan of the main storyline that runs through the silent hill series the whole cult aspect of it but silent hill 2 doesn't have any of that it's just it's just a journey into one man's mind almost and it's brilliant for it it's very self-contained and it's it's its own story, and I th- I think if you if you play it on its own, you'll get just as much, if not more, even enjoyment out of it. Right. Okay, Daniel, last one. Uh, my last one. Um, I'm actually thankful that Jim talked about wife murdering and uh, stuff like that because uh, it made me reflect on Max Payne, uh, which was definitely left out of my original list, but now has been bumped to 
if not the top. That was an amazing character for me. Um, just the way that you start out with this, you know, he's just a good cop and he's got the all-American dream and then you come home and his wife and his baby are just dead. And it's like, you know, no spoiler alert, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you go through the game and it's like nobody understands anything. Nobody understands the character but you. You're the only person in the storyline that saw why he's doing all this and everybody else just thinks he's this cop that went off the handle. And you're trying to go through and figure out what happened and you're trying to fight your way through these different gangs and and find these different people and you're actually motivated behind it. And that was the last game that, uh, in a while at least, that I've played that I was actually motivated to keep going personally just because I wanted to go kill these people and I wanted to go find out what happened to you know my hypothetical wife and or baby. And then uh, as you're playing through, you're confronted with these levels that are – it's – it's has anybody played Max Payne? I think everybody's played Payne. Okay, I'm making sure. I, no, I haven't. I bought a fucked up copy, and oh. I've never been able to get past a certain level on my copy. So I've you, never. I don't even can, think I've gotten to the halfway point. It's depressing. Well, there's a there's a point when you're confronted by these levels that like it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like you black out, and then you're you're trying to find your way on like these paths of blood. And it's in this completely black room. And like when I was first playing it, I was pissed because I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like this is stupid. It's really difficult. Like I can't figure out anything. And then as I'm playing through and I'm pissed off, like I found myself reflecting on the storyline in a way that like I've never had the opportunity to do in other games. And it was is basically like they just took – they just forced you to pause the game and they said, OK, think about it. And there's no – like I've never been in another game in which I had the time to reflect on what's been happening. At least I was forced to. Like there's been times when I stopped playing a game and I'm thinking about it later. But it just totally freed up my mind. And while I was preoccupied with this puzzle, I was reflecting on what had been happening so far. And I, I think that those levels in themselves came kind of gave me an attachment to Max as a character. And uh, so, yeah, he really had a profound uh, imprint on my mind. I can dig it. Alright, Case, last one. So, yeah, like, all, all of mine, I guess, are, are, are a little weird, I guess, with the exception of uh, Weighted Companion Cube or, or GLaDOS or whatever. Um, but uh, Rasputin is actually one of mine from, from Psychonauts. And, again, not because he was, you know, a particularly um, deeply developed character. There's not a whole lot of backstory on him, and, and unless you're, you know pretty into Psychonauts, you, you don't have a huge attachment to him. Um, but I'm not really a huge fan of platformers, much for the same reason you, you guys mentioned earlier about not being fans of um, open-world racing games. I, I I don't know what it is. Like I, I have stupid fingers. That's what I, I have stupid fingers. But I, can't, I, I can only fall down a fucking pit so many times before I just want to hurl my controller at the goddamn wall and start punching my monitor. It's it's horrible. And in spite of the massive uh, difficulty curve near the end of Psychonauts, I found um, the character, you know, I found Rasputin and uh, all the characters really in the game endearing to the point that I could kind of get over that. You know, if I was getting frustrated, I would just kind of like run around... Whispering Rock, uh, you know, talking to the people and, and see, seeing what else is going on. Like in the beginning, I think when you're doing um, basic braining or whatever, uh, 
all of the characters, all the other kids are just kind of off doing their own thing. And while you're, you know, collecting random crap to go accumulate more random crap, uh, you can interact with them. And it's, it, they're all so fucking weird. Everybody in that game is just a, a total nut job, and it's awesome. It's just great, and I love all of the characters in the game, but especially especially Rasputin, simply because um, it, it, they're incredibly endearing character. He's an incredibly endearing character to the point that I I was dissuaded from hurling my uh, my controller at the wall. You know, the hundred and fiftieth time I can't jump onto a fucking platform. Um, and in addition to to just you know him as a character himself, the design for the character is awesome. It's it was totally weird and like that's become you know Double Fine style, but it's not you know something that you 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 don't see just totally out of left field character design uh, come up like that as often um, as as it used to when games were just you know point and click, largely two D. It's it's it was awesome to see that, and that's why I keep going back to it, and why I keep enjoying going back to it again, in spite of the incredibly difficult or the incredibly massive difficulty curve near the end. I'll just play it through. It's just it it, it has that replay value for me because of the characters in it. Well, you've inadvertently answered. Uh... A, a question I was going to pose from one of the readers. Leviticus asked, "Can storage? Well, he says story-driven games, but can games make up for boring gameplay, repetitive gameplay, gameplay that you don't like if the characters themselves are memorable?" And you seem to to say that they can. Absolutely, certainly, I completely agree. In certain instances, yeah. I mean, if if it, if there's no real story to a game to the point that it's just dull, then you're not going to be able to develop a character very deeply anyway. But it's, what, it's, what, what, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say one thing that's going... Uh, we've talked about it a lot, but going back to Metal Gear Solid, it, it is one of my favorite franchises of all time. Um, in the top three, easily. Um, and I hate stealth games. I, I hate stealth games. I absolutely despise them. I think it's a broken genre that requires, probably requires far more advanced AI than we have to ever truly work. But Metal Gear Solid is one of my favourite franchises, and it is almost purely down to the writing and the characters and the commentary that goes along with it. Almost purely. There are parts in nearly every Metal Gear Solid game that I cannot fucking stand i really hate playing certain bits but i will fight through it because the game just has me so gripped because i mean my first experiences with quite a few games was watching my brother play them so i sat as an audience member and watched the story of metal gear solid and it got me into the games and now i i play them myself to see the story so i will fight through these games and it's very rare for me because I have uh, very low patience. If I die a lot on a game, chances are I'll never play the game again. I'll take it back. But not so with Metal Gear Solid. I will always fight to the end of those. Dan, what do you think? I think it's it kind of depends on the gameplay. I mean, you look at games like Super Mario and there's absolutely no... like I Seriously, Mario Galaxy, I have no motivation to finish that game whatsoever. Um, except for the fact that it's just fun to play, and uh, well, and then that's, but, that's a lot. That's a thing. Yeah, no, that that's the thing is that it's it's fun to play. But I think that 
it, you can survive with no storyline if it's that much fun to play. And then Max Payne, like, the gameplay was fun for a bit, but then I was motivated to finish it just by the storyline. And Bioshock, mm, it was just great all over, so I can't really, you know, use that example. But I, I, I think it goes either way. I remember talking to Nex when he was still around about Portal, and he and I were discussing the fact that we, we liked the Portal mechanic a lot, but the thing that really made us love the game was GLaDOS. GLaDOS whatever the the evil the evil yeah. robot i mean the 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 characters not only can add to me uh a new dimension to the story but they can make the 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 actual game have a much greater impact like with half-life episode two m- when you look at the actual act of being alex from lions in that cave where you're setting up turrets and stuff i mean that's pretty fucking fun on its own but it becomes so much more important when you've gotten to the fact that you, when you got to the point that you really care about Alex and you don't want her to die, and when that that uh, I don't even remember what they're called new combine thing comes out and stabs her, and then you have to spend the next you know two hours trying to trying to revive her through gameplay. The gameplay matters now. It's not just uh, somebody saying Marine, go here, get this thing, bring it back. We'll go through a door, fucking weird colored key, and then we'll beat a boss <laughs> with a big brain. But it's not that. It's somebody you care about. Something has happened to them. You have to fix it, and it feels completely natural in the store. Once the gameplay feels earned, instead of just thrown at you haphazardly, just mm. hoping something sticks to you. I, I think that the character, the the evolution of of making better characters in video games, or at least with writing them, because we're, we're nowhere near you know AI or really really great. Uh, I think we're still in the uncanny valley as far as are concerned. But I mean that's that's the biggest thing as far as storytelling in games goes for me in the future. But uh, does anybody else have anything you, you'd really want to, want to talk about? Any other comments? Then I guess we'll wrap up Podtoid 41. I'd once wait, again wait, like... Wait, 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 Sephiroth, now carry on. <laughs> you know, I might like Sephiroth a little bit more if every single anime nerd in, <laughs> on the planet didn't have that picture of him walking through the flames as their avatar on every single form on the fucking planet. I would, I would be more inclined to like him <laughs> only because he fucking ganged Eris in the most hardcore gangsta way ever. I mean, the guy jumped from like six stories up. He didn't even need to do that. I mean, he could have landed and then stabbed her, but he stabbed her as he came down. That's fucking dedication. <laughs> I tell you what, if you um, if you change Ares' name to um, anyone for a kebab, then <laughs> it makes the game so much more amusing. Uh, <laughs> I inter- inadvertently ruined that for my little brother. I, I didn't mean to, but I totally spoiled it for him. And when I did that, like just the the look that that came over his face was astounding. <laughs> it was just. Pure distilled hatred and rage, and I think I spent the next like hour and a half locked in my bedroom so that my little brother, who at the time was like I think two feet shorter than me and just a lot smaller, would not kick the living shit out of me because he would have done it at that point. He was so pissed. Yeah. By the way, Ares if anyone's is... unfamiliar with the big twist in Final Fantasy VII, it's we find out Ares is Fontaine. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I think alert. we could do an entire episode on, on Ares dying and just all the, the culty behavior that's arisen out of it. People trying to mod mm. the game to bring her back in and stuff. But There's always a time to end an episode, and now is that time for 41. So I would like to thank Case Fulton, Dan Lingen, 
Uh, we just call him Lingen around here. And Jim Sterling. And I'd like to also thank Adam Dork for recording now because we don't want to kill ourselves after before and after every podcast now. So yay! Woo! Talk to you guys next week. Sweet.